millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. It's lockdown and I'm in my bedroom recording this, which means that upstairs uh, a neighbour has decided to drill the floors. Just just very, very inconsiderate when a book off is about to happen. So apologies for the droning noise that you might be able to hear in the background. I'm Joe Haddo and wherever you're listening from today, I hope you're safe and well. And as always, I'm joined by two fabulous authors who are going to be going head to head in a war of the words a little later on in our book off. My first guest is a multi-million best-selling author of 35 novels. He's the creator of the much-loved character Harry Bosch, the executive producer of the Bosch series on Amazon, and a fellow podcast host. Here to tell us about his latest Ricky Haller novel, The Law of Innocence, is Michael Connolly. Hello to you. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us, Michael. It's a pleasure. And also joining us, the Sunday Times bestselling author of four novels and a memoir who sold over two million copies worldwide. Her debut novel, I Let You Go, won the Theakston's Old Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year. A great accolade indeed. I should know. I judge it. And was the fastest selling crime debut novel in 2015. Here to tell us about her latest novel after the end is Claire McIntosh. Hello to you. Hi, Joe. Well, hello. And it's so lovely to uh, have you both on the book off. Um, Michael, we, we've never actually met in person. I'll blame the fact that you live over in America and I live here. And Claire, well, we see each other usually a couple of times a year in passing at book festivals. But of course, we haven't been able to do that this year, have we? <laughs> no, sadly not. Michael, is are you in L.A. at the moment? I am. I've been here since uh, March 3rd. I can count the days. You know, just recently I've been going out. Um, we've started filming the seventh season of the show, so I go by, but I'm not as, as, as personally involved or in-person involved as I have been in the past. So I'm pretty much back to my earlier life as a, um, as a writer who wrote from home. That's, that's what lockdown has come to be. You've been very hands-on with the series, haven't you, over the over the years? Yes, and um, it is somewhat of a machine. So um, it's half because of uh, the pandemic that I'm not around that much, but also half because after six seasons, everyone seems to know what they're doing. And it's not like I was a, I was like a a big boss or anything like that. I was mostly an observer with a uh, you know a word of encouragement here and there. 
but um, he's really reached the point where they, they don't need me around too much. Right, I see. <laughs> um, and Claire, you're over in, uh, over in, I, I mean, it depends where you're listening from, but you're in Wales, <laughs> are you? I am. I'm in Snowdonia up in North Wales. Everyone, everyone always hears Wales and thinks Cardiff, um, and we're a good three and a half hours north of that up in the mountains where it's uh, generally raining. Beautiful. Beautiful, though, even when it's raining. It's always beautiful. Right, so you're up the hills in Wales and Michael's up the Hollywood Hills. That's good. And I'm in the uh, in the throes of uh, metropolitan life in Hackney, London. So that's all very good. We're going to talk about your latest novels. And then a little later on, you each get three minutes on the clock to pitch us a book that you absolutely love and you think that me and all the listeners should read if we haven't already. Before we get to that, though, um, let's talk, Michael, about The Law of Innocence. This is your new book that's just come out and am i right thinking this is the second book that you're publishing this year yes it has been um a busy year for me i don't do this too often but um i had a book earlier this year that usually you know the year that two books come out is not the busy year that means you wrote them the year before so last year was the year i was really uh busy had some um ideas that were really um inspiring and pressing me so i I guess I wrote faster than usual and ended up with two books. You just sort of went for it last year, and here we are now with uh, the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and what about the last few months? Have you found the lockdown period good for writing? Have you have you managed to get some ideas away in this, this time of uh, being, you know, not travelling as much as one would like? Um, I would say yes and no. My books are very contemporary. So I set them in the year that they're published. And so um, I, this Law of Innocence, I was writing at the time the pandemic broke out. And it was actually set in March and April of this year. Um, mm. And, you know, uh, you know, it's a courtroom drama. And the courtrooms out here were closed down. And I, I do, you know, hold myself to a high degree of verisimilitude in these books. So I realized I had to change what I was doing and I was well into the book and I had to move it to a different time. And there's always always these time markers that show you how contemporary the book is. So it kind of froze me. And so for the first time in my 40 years of being a professional writer, I wasn't writing. I didn't write for about three or four weeks as I kind of just got frozen by, you know, what's the future going to be? How do you set a very contemporary book in a time when you don't know what's going to happen day to day? And uh and you're not really, I'm, you know, not really trusting the information I'm getting from the government and so forth. So I basically took myself out of the game for about a month. And as I said, that's the first time I've ever done that in 40 years. And then I got inspired and I got my groove back and I made up for lost time. And I changed some things about the book and, and it, you know, started going from there. So it was thankfully it just a temporary uh moment in my uh, writing life and uh, now now I'm back to normal and as I said before lockdown for a writer is very similar to pre-lockdown um, you know you mostly work from home yet yes you go out and do research yes you may travel to promote but for the most part I've always been someone who worked out of my house and you know the lockdown or the pandemic just kind of underlined that and you know it was life is normal for me very lucky in that way. 
Yeah. In fact, I've spoken to quite a few authors who've said the same thing. I know uh, Jeff Diva said he hadn't really noticed, you know, this was in sort of May time. He's like, I hadn't really noticed the lockdown because, you know, I'm just doing what I always do. So in the latest novel, Mickey Haller, the Lincoln lawyer, returns. So tell us about this new story and how he finds himself in a slightly sticky situation. Well, I've written about him five times previously and... You know, they all kind of revolve around a, something that's going to take you into court. So it's it's the big challenge for me is coming up with something unique or something that I haven't done before. You know, another innocent client, another guilty client. You know, how, how do you make it fresh? And that might be why I had not written a book um, in Mickey Haller's point of view in, in uh, almost 10 years. And so I just came up came upon the idea of there's an adage that a lawyer who who has himself as a client has a fool for a client. In other words, a lawyer should never defend himself. So I decided to take that adage um, and flip it and, or turn it on its ear. And so I created this story where Mickey is accused of a crime. In this case, it's murder. This all happens in the first chapter, so this is not really a spoiler. But he's, you know, accused of murder and, you know, his whole life is at stake. And so who's he going to call? And he, and he just, you know, maybe it's ego or whatever, but he believes he, no one could defend him better than himself. And so it's about him kind of strategizing and directing a defense against a, a major crime accusation from a jail cell. And so it's half a challenge to me as a writer to, to be able to come up with momentum and turns and twists and so forth when our main character for most of the pages in this book is in a jail cell. And how was it returning to write Mickey? Was it, was it the, you know, the right time? Did he just sort of come knocking and say, hey, Michael, you haven't written me in a little while, so it's time to get me out, out again on the page? Um, in a way, it was. Um, he's shown up in Harry Bosch books and so forth. But, you know, he's seen in those books through someone else's point of view. Most often it's Bosch. So I had not written in his voice, and that's what I missed. And that's as soon as I started getting into this, uh, to the book, just a few pages in, and I got the voice back, it felt really good, and it felt like the right thing to do. And then, you know, I wrote this last year, so little did I know that what would happen this year in terms of not just the pandemic, but in... Black Lives Matter, the George Floyd event in my country, things have changed dramatically this year in how people view cops. And, you know, I think Harry Bosch is a good and noble guy who, who ascribes to many of the ideals of Black Lives Matter and other things. But it, was, it turned out to be a good year not to write about a cop and to write about someone outside the system. A defense attorney is, you know, outside looking, looking in a guy who battles the power and might of the state. So it turned out to be a good year for me to take a year off from like Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard and to just write about this defense attorney named Mickey Haller. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you, as you say, wrote that last year. And Claire, um, After the End, which is your, your new book just coming out in paperback, was obviously written quite a few years ago because it's already been out in, in hardback. But it was a, a book sort of... A long time coming I suppose because it's based on personal experiences from your own life but for those that don't know about this book perhaps you could tell us about Max and Pip and and their story in the book and and actually you know how that reflects your story 
Yeah, sure. So this, you know, after the end could not be more different from uh, one of Michael's books and actually <laughs> from my previous books, which have, have all been thrillers. Um, but I took a, a slight detour for after the end because uh, it was a story that I really, really wanted to, to tell. And I'm a, a firm believer in writing what, what moves you. So it came from a very difficult period in my own life, 14 years ago now, when my son was critically ill in hospital and my husband and I were asked to make a decision about his his future, whether to continue to keep him uh, supported by uh, intensive care or whether to turn off the, the machines. And I remember asking the consultant who was looking after him, what would happen if my husband and I didn't agree because like most couples, we disagreed about all sorts of things and they'd never mattered until that moment. And the doctor said, you have to agree because the alternative is unthinkable. And what I did with After the End, which is not my story, it is a, a novel, is I wrote the unthinkable. I wrote about this couple, Max and Pip, who love each other very much, but have to make this horrific decision and they don't agree. And in all my books, whether they're thrillers or dramas, what I'm interested in is, is that grey area, that, that space between a, a good life and a bad life or a, an easy life and a hard life, um, the, the right and the wrong. Uh, and in this particular book, it's not crossing that criminal line as I have um, in my thrillers. It's, it's about that moral dilemma. And is it a book that you think you've wanted to write for a long time? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I wasn't a writer when, I, uh, when we had this decision to make ourselves, but I wrote for myself. You know, I've always wanted to be a writer. I sort of tried to feel my way through this story, but when you're a, a, an author and you're you're thinking about books in particular it's it's actually not enough to have a, a story or a question there's you've got to have a structure for it you, you've got to know what shape this story is going to be is it a short story is it a play is it a um a, a film is it a novel and i didn't really know what what it looked like the the only thing i knew about the story is that i wanted a speculative element to it in that I wanted to be able to follow both possible paths, both outcomes, whether Max got his way or whether Pip got her way. Um, and so it was a number of years before I had the confidence, I suppose, and, and the skills as a writer to be able to tackle something that was very structurally complex and, and also to have that emotional space away from what had happened to us to make sure that I was writing something that was pure fiction and not memoir. Yeah, of course, because it's it would have been probably harder to, to have written this closer, you know, to 14 years ago. It also would have, as you say, probably been inevitable that you, you put so much more of your story into it, whereas actually with that space and distance, you were able to use that experience, but, but actually, yeah, as you say, it's a work of fiction and you've you've spun this sort of you know incredible story out of it where you where we don't and the reader is left sort of going and I suppose this was part of the the point wasn't it thinking who do I side with here yeah well 
do you know what what's always fascinated me about people is is how incredibly complex we are and I, I was a police officer for, for a long time for for more than a decade and all, all the times I've sat opposite someone in an interview room I've never yet met a, a criminal who didn't have some redeeming features and I've very rarely met a victim or, or a witness of a crime who didn't have some kind of hidden uh, flaw or secret or something that they, they didn't want us to, to know about and it's it's that complexity that makes characters so so interesting and and what I loved you know doing in this book in particular to to keep the reader um, kind of vacillating from from one decision to the other so that when you're reading a, a chapter from Max's point of view you are a hundred percent convinced that his decision is the right one right up until you you turn the page and and find yourself in in his wife's point of view I'll bring Michael in here because I'm interested in that in that sort of redeeming feature thing is that is that something you think about, Michael, for your characters? And, and, and we're thinking specifically about the ones that you're not necessarily meant to like as much. Do they have to have a redeeming feature in there, though, somehow, in their character? I think they do. I think um, you write so much by instinct and, and you're obviously influenced by the, the books, the great books that you've attached yourself to. And, and that's the commonality. You're, it's always about someone either seeking redemption or finding it, the, the redeeming character in, some, in someone they've encountered, whether it's a, you know, a good person or a bad person. I want to talk about the setting, Michael, of your books, that being Los Angeles, because it's a place I love. It's a place I, I try to go to when we're not in a pandemic um, every year. I lived there for a, for a little while, you know, and I've got this really weird relationship with LA that, that, you know, that I love it and also hate it. But I love reading about it. And I just wondered whether you thought, you know, if, if some of your readers come back, not only for Bosch or Holler, but for the city itself and for that setting and being in the contemporary Los Angeles. Is that something you think that also draws readers in? Yes. And it, it's funny that it's, it wasn't like a conscious thing on my part. I'm not from Los Angeles. I'm from the East Coast of the United States. And I never even set foot in LA till I was 30 years old. But up <laughs> until that time, I was a, a voracious consumer of LA novels and films. It, it was just a city of fascination to me. And then I came out here as a journalist and one thing led to the other. And uh, uh, next thing you know, I'm writing novels uh, set in the city. And so I was following, you know, something that started a long time before just this fascination with the city and you know i think every writer looks at themselves as a, every person that you know if you write something that you like there's going to be someone out there who will like it as well and i think that goes for the city as well i think there's i'm very lucky i happen to write about a city that drew me because it was so interesting and and therefore i know it draws other people and you know in this age of internet communications and so forth. I, I know there's people in England and other places that read these books and they have Google Maps next to them <laughs> as they're reading and they look these places up and they see photos of it and, and you know, heaven help you if you get something wrong because, you know, you'll you'll hear about it from somebody in Hackney. And, uh, you know, so... I'm sorry. I'm sorry about those emails I sent you pointing out there. Yeah. <laughs> 
just kidding. <laughs> but you know, it's uh, it it is it's been very fortunate to me, and that's helped spread my work around the world. And I and you know, I, uh, every writer has an ego. I think I'm a pretty good writer, but I also am quite aware that if I wasn't writing about L.A., my books might not be sold in Tokyo or or to the great extent that they are in you know Milan or London or wherever. Um, and I think I had, I, I came out of the gate with, a, you know, this extra, uh, push because I was writing about Los Angeles, you know, and the flip side of that is that you do get compared to everybody who's ever written about Los Angeles. And there's been some really masterful storytellers that have written about this city. Yeah, but I, yes, well, and you are one of them, but also I, I'm, I'm so with you there because I think, it, talking about the UK, specifically in the UK crime scene, which Claire will probably have a, something to say on. I know that from speaking to authors here who, you know, who choose their city, whether it be Manchester or Glasgow or London, you know, as the as the base for their stories, the crime stories, they offer the writer lots of places to go as well, especially for series authors. And that's and that's a draw. So for, for someone who doesn't live in the UK, you know, a story set in London is probably quite exciting, much like for me and many others and people in Tokyo. Los Angeles is very exciting as a place. But Claire, you 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 probably know this from a lot of your sort of crime writery friends that we both know. You know, they you you put a book in a place where it can give you a lot of stories to go to take your characters. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you look at people like Ian Ian Rankin and the sense of place and and the loyalty that all his his readership has towards um edinburgh i was just um uh, i was just making notes actually there to to set my next book in in la that's obviously the <laughs> in my last four books i've moved around uh, with every book so far um and the setting it, because the story and the setting have, have been so interlinked uh, i don't write series books so i'm not tied to a, a particular place um i wrote a, a, a thriller uh, called i see you which is all about the uh, london underground could only be set in london it's all um, focused on the cctv and surveillance and and stalking so sometimes the story just determines where it needs to be. And I've just, this year, uh, I, I have written very little. I've had a, a shocking year and found that the pandemic almost impossible to work through. But I've finished a, a thriller set on an aeroplane. And, and, and again, it is a, bit, a, a very location-specific book. So the two things for me come really right at, right at the beginning, and it's generally the story that dictates where the setting's going to be because I'm I'm not tied to a, a series. Um, Michael, do you, do you ever feel like you want to just break out and go and write something in Hawaii or like Birmingham, England? Um, yeah, I do. But um, I usually find a way to bring my characters there. I mean, and you got to be sparing with the, the fish out of water stuff. But one time, for example, I went to Hong Kong while I was on the book tour and I found the place so fascinating. I then wrote a story, but of course it was Harry Bosch from LA having to go to Hong Kong on, um, on an investigation. And so I had the classic, you know, he, he knew about as much about Hong Kong as I did. And so that made it kind of easy to write, but you can't have, you can't do that when you're doing serious fiction you got to do that sparingly. It can't be every every book Harry Bosch follows another case to another place, and, <laughs> you know. And you're basically writing off your vacations at that point. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so it's sparing, but I I do feel so connected to L.A. 
that whatever I write, it somehow either starts in L.A. or ends up in L.A. And so, you know, in my country, I've had stories that started in Colorado. I've had stories that go to Florida and so forth. But it's always L.A. centric, it seems. Uh, that's at the center of the wheel. And these are just spokes. And do you use real places like if, if you mention bars, restaurants, people's houses, do you use real addresses to kill people in? Yeah, I mean, I yes. The, the quick answer is yes. I, I'm, you know, I like to use real restaurants and stuff like that. But I, you know, it's not very good to kill somebody in a real restaurant. So when I've had to do something that involves, uh, you know, the outcome of violence, I usually make up that spot. There is a there's a small um, a train that goes up a hill in downtown LA called Angel's Flight that really exists, and I I killed two people on it once in a book. You know, then that book came out. It was actually called Angel's Flight, and I'm doing a signing, and the executive director of Angel's Flight, you know, steps up with a book to sign, and I was like saying, "Is there also a? Uh, are you also serving me with papers because you're suing me?" But he he turned out to be a, a a great guy about it. But I had now sought permission or anything like that, so I was I was very nervous at that encounter. There are going to be some really disappointed TripAdvisor reviews now when the tourists get there and like there's no murders <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One star. It was such a safe ride. You know. But Clay, you must like also that I think you just you sort of alluded to it just then. But you you must quite like the fact that you can take a book anywhere you want it to when you're writing a new story at the moment yeah i i do it's a it's a double-edged coin isn't it i have to start from scratch with every book you know a new world new characters i've got to get under their skin i've got to work out exactly who they are what motivates them i'm often at the start of a book quite envious of series writers who can pick up that central character and perhaps a, a few um, other key characters and and run with them just put them in a, a new um scenario but I do like the flexibility that it, that it gives me and I can decide, you know, even down to the the not just the, the setting and the cast, but also the, the feel of, of the book. Because although I've mostly written thrillers, some are more psychological thrillers. The one that I've just finished is more of an action thriller. So I get that flexibility to move around within my genre as well. And when can we expect to read the new the new thriller then, Claire? That's next summer, so a, a, a little time to, to wait. That's called Hostage. Fantastic. OK, well, we'll look forward to that. Very shortly, we'll be doing the book off. Before we find out what books you're each putting up for today's book off, I just wondered what you've been reading recently, if you've been reading recently. I know a lot of people have struggled in this pandemic to actually concentrate, but it's always nice to ask my guests, you know, to maybe recommend something that they've picked up. So, Michael, has there been anything that you've been reading recently that you want to talk about? Um, yes, I'll talk about a couple books, but for the most part, I have not been reading a lot. Well, I've been reading some books that have been submitted to me, uh, and, you know, they're not going to be out till next year. A book that's, jet, I think it's pretty much, it's pretty new that I'm, just beginning to read is uh, Tana French's book, The Searcher. It's kind of similar to what we were just talking about, like Harry Bosch in Hong Kong. It is about a retired American detective in Ireland. And, and I'm just getting into it, but it's I can tell, you know, things are about to start happening. And, and I've always loved her books. So that's, that's what I got in my hands at the moment. Again, I, everything seems to tie into uh, what we've been talking about, L.A., 
one of the things that drew me to LA was the movie Chinatown, which if I had to list my favorite movies of all time, I would say Chinatown is my favorite movie. And, and a book came out um, in the last year, I believe, about the making of it um, called The Big, um, I think it's called The Big Goodbye. And it's about the kind of uh, creativity and unchecked creativity that, that went into making this uh, American classic. And it's so much of the time the movie came out, I believe it was 73 and uh, it's so much a kind of a social study of that time I found it really fascinating and, and really about four characters including the screenwriter who um, you know had to make all the right moves in order for this film to be made and I thought that was a pretty fascinating book. Michael I have just literally scribbled that down now because obviously I'm going to be going to get that book and read it because that sounds right up my street. Chinatown, LA, history, screenwriters, that's perfect. <laughs> and what about you, Claire? Have you been reading much? Yeah, I've been reading lots, although I did, I had a period this year where I couldn't read any more crime novels, thriller novels, psychological suspense, and I had to read uh, just sort of happy things. I think uh, I needed a bit of a break from, from the interminable bloom. But my probably my standout book this year has been uh, My Dark Vanessa, which I think it has been for a lot of people. And then at the moment, I'm, read, I'm rereading uh, a book that I read last year called Seven Lies by Elizabeth Kay, which is uh, a really original psychological thriller um, about a friendship quite a dark friendship between two women and seven lies. And I'm reading it again because I've just chosen it for my online book club. Um, so it's been really, really nice to introduce lots of readers to, to that. But yeah, I'm, I'm still still reading sort of every day and getting through pretty much the same number of books as I normally do. Fantastic. And the, the online book club is through your website, is it? Uh, yes, yes. People can, can find details on, on my website and then we, we chat about the books uh, on, on Facebook. Fantastic. Just in case anyone wants to check that out, as they should. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Well, it's time for the book off now. Uh, this is where you each get three minutes on the clock to tell us about a book you love and you think that we should all read. Before we get into those, um, let's just find out which books are going up against each other. Michael, what are you bringing to the table for the book off? <laughs> I'm bringing a book called Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. Okay, fantastic. And Claire, what about you? What's your choice? I am going to be championing Exit by Belinda Bauer. Which is a new... We're recording this in November 2020, and this is this is not even out yet. That's how, that's how on the pulse you are. I know. Check me out. This was supposed to come out earlier this year, but they pushed it back to uh, January next year, so not too long to wait. Fantastic. Okay, well, we need to decide who goes first and who goes second. So, um, Michael, would you like to go first... Or would you like to hear what Claire's got and see if you can top it? <laughs> uh, I didn't know it was going to be so competitive. Um, I guess I'll go first. But I didn't time this out either, so just yell time or whatever if I... Well, here's the thing, Michael. You see, we put three minutes on the clock, and then if you're still talking when we go over the three minutes, you're either going to get honked out or you're going to get rung out by the school bell so claire which would you prefer when you hit your three minutes do you want do you want the honk or would you like the bell i would like to honk please you're going to get honked okay no problem which means michael you've got the school bell and i'm putting three minutes on the clock you don't have to use it all if you don't want to but if you're still talking we will we will ring you out so it's over to you uninterrupted to tell us about black top wasteland Okay, Blacktop Wasteland is, to me, uh, a surprise thriller of the year. And, uh, and you know, uh, maybe this is my ego issue, but I had never heard of S.A. Cosby. But I, uh, on the author's part of the book, it says he's an award-winning author. So he's been around, and I guess he's a journeyman because this book shows all the skills of someone who's been in the game a long time. It's about a character named Bug. And his real name is Beauregard Montage, which is a great name. That alone should make you want to read this book, but Bug for short. And Bug is an African-American. He's a mechanic, has his own business, a car mechanic, a, a car shop. But he has a past, and his past is that he's a convict and that he was a, uh, a, one of the best uh, getaway drivers, or wheelman, as they call it, um, in all of the eastern uh, coast of um, the United States doing robberies with with a gang for quite a while. Then that came to an end. He got out of prison. He wants to be a good man. He's married. He has a kid. Uh, and it's about him trying to maintain uh, his life under the pressures of someone who is barely making enough money to support his family and has other things going on like competition in town uh, you know, the kind of racism he uh, faces. And so this gets to be a thriller, it's, but it's also a, a very strong social statement about why someone on the straight and narrow who's fought to be on the straight and narrow and lived the so-called American dream with a family in a house turns to crime and the pressures that lead uh, Bug into returning to the life of, of as being a wheel man and getting involved in a really high stakes, high money robbery. And that's where the, the, the all that is like pulling back the uh, slingshot. You're slowly pulling it back, getting to understand this character and knowing what's, what's impending. And there is a dread involved. There's also a 
kind of a thrill involved in knowing we're going to get to something big. And then that's when the slingshot is let loose and it shoots out. And um, this becomes a really uh, fast moving and fantastic thriller. So to me, it's the best of all worlds that come out of this genre. Uh, you know, a great crime story, a great thriller, but it has a deep, deep resonance on, on our society, it's particularly in the United States. And the um, and the cause of of uh, and pressures of racism, um, it has all these things going for it. So in a way, it's kind of mystery with a message, and and I think that that puts this book and this author um, at the top of the game. It, you know, in my opinion. Wow, I only had one word after the ring. <laughs> well done. That was it. Was it was like you'd completely planned that then you knew you're bringing it in exactly on time michael without knowing it where the pressure's really on claire it's <laughs> gonna be tough i am sweating here michael i tell you you're up for it claire come on you you know you can do this so uh, michael takes a breather i put three minutes back on the clock and i get the horn ready for you claire uh so it's three minutes to tell us about exit by belinda bauer Okay, three minutes before the honk. What if you were under contract to kill someone, but you got the wrong person? So that's the uh, the premise for uh, Belinda Bauer's exit. Now, Belinda Bauer is an author that I um, just feel more people should read. She's incredibly talented. She's written oh, 10 books or so, and she's one of the few crime authors who's been long listed for the Man Booker, which is really, really quite unusual. And it's because her writing is absolutely exquisite. Now, Exit is about um, a man called Felix Pink, who uh, does a job. Uh, his job role is known as the ex- an exeteer. They're exeteers. And this very small um, but uh, highly trained group of individuals. Their job is to go into the homes of people who are dying and speed up their demise um, in a, a, a relatively sort of legal way. And Felix Pink does this with a new co-worker who he's training up to be a, a, an exeter and he gets the wrong person. Now, the reason this book is so brilliant is because it's wholly original. It is absolutely a crime novel. You know, we're talking about murder, essentially a serial killer, a, a, a hitman, if you will. But it's absolutely hilarious. And I love that mix of um, a, a, of crime and humour, the kind of the, the dark humour that, that weaves through this. It makes me um, think about the, the sort of banter and the humour I used to come across in the police. It feels very very authentic. It's also very, very moving. Um, and underneath all the humour covers some really interesting discussion points around assisted euthanasia, about that grey area that I mentioned earlier between right and wrong, um, themes of death and ageing um, and, and friendship. So it's a really serious book, but presented in such an unusual and original and uh, witty way. I read it a year or so ago. I'm still thinking about it. I think it's pretty flawless. And I think you should all go out and pre-order it. Exit by Belinda Bauer, um, because it's brilliant. You had, uh, well, 20 seconds to go there, Clem. You didn't need it. 
You'd wrapped it up like a. I like didn't a... need it. I mean, what's to say about a book that's perfect? <laughs> You'd wrapped it up like a Christmas present there. Oh, well done. Um, take a breath and thank you both um, for those pictures. Now, Michael, um, thinking about your book, which I don't know. I, I, I remember speak, I was speaking to Steve Kavanagh, another crime author uh, who I think knows S.A. Cosby or certainly was raving about them too but i don't know this book but it you know you've made me want to read it um, and can i just say this is possibly the first book off where both pictures have included po- probably two of the most interesting character names and job descriptions <laughs> you've got yeah. bug, bug montag who is a wheelman and then you've got Felix Pink, who's an exeter. I mean, this is just, we, you know, you're going to get points for those anyway. But everything you were saying, Michael, about it being, you know, on the surface, indeed, a fast-moving thriller, but it's the best of all worlds because it sort of comes out of that genre. It's about bigger issues uh, and the social statement of someone trying to live the American dream, trying to get back on the right track. And it just feels like it's... I don't know, a very, a very sort of a, a novel for now, I would imagine. Do you think that's, that's a fair assumption? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, I mean, people talk about this book. I've had conversations about it. And obviously it would have been le- written last year, but it seems like it's written with everything. Like he either knew um, or somehow um, it mirrors what's going on in American society you know, since May. And Claire, I love Belinda Bauer, both as a writer and a human. She's one of my faves. And um, it's interesting you saying about the humour in this book, because she is so funny anyway, when you meet her, isn't she? She's genuinely sort of dry. And She um... is. She's she's <laughs> warm and funny and uh yeah she's she's the whole package she is the most unlikely crime writer when you look at her um but she's you know as you say she's absolutely brilliant she's written so many books um and you know i remember the first one i picked up of hers was called rubbernecker and i just was like oh i love this woman i love this writing um i haven't read exit um i really want to now thanks to you and you know the fact that it's it just sounds so great, really original. Um, it's a crime novel, but with this humour and, and also, you know, actually challenging some pretty big themes there as well. And the the line that got me, Claire, was the fact that you've obviously read this probably at the start of the year and yet you're still thinking about it. And I, I do think that's, you know, just one of the clearest signs of a great book, isn't it? When you can, when you're still thinking about it months on. Yeah, and I think you know, we, the three of us, are all sent a lot of books and a lot of crime books in particular, and I find after a time that you know they they start to to feel the same. There's a lot of similarities in in plot and character, and um, and it's so refreshing to pick something up that feels just completely original and yeah that's what exit is yeah well they both honestly sound brilliant i definitely want to read both of them and just love a pace there love a getaway driver I, I really do love like that as a role um as a, as a character in in films and in books um so i'm really really keen to read the essay cosby but i've got to pick one to take home uh, based on the pictures and i have to say it's a tough choice but i think it's going to be Belinda Bauer. <laughs> Woo! All right. By a whisker for the uh, for the humour 
and for the fact that uh, yeah, you're right, Claire. I think you know more people should be reading her because she's she's so great, and uh, there are loads of books to choose from. And S. A. Cosby, I think Michael is going to be one to watch. I assume a new a new author. I guess so. I think this might be his first novel, and he's written a lot of short stories. Okay, great. So a debut a debut novel, which we'll definitely be looking out for. Um, it sounds absolutely brilliant. Uh, thank you both for those pitches. I think everyone listening will be clicking away now at their local bookshop website to uh, try and order those. After the End by Claire McIntosh is published by Little Brown and The Law of Innocence by Michael Connolly is published by Orion. Both books are out now. We strongly recommend getting yourselves a copy and filling your shelves. We also strongly recommend joining Claire's online book club and listening to Michael's podcast, but not in place of this one, of course. It's been an absolute pleasure having you both on the podcast, down the line, as we say. I wish it had been in person, but sadly it was not to be this year. But thank you both and uh, best of luck with the new books. Hope to see you very soon. Thank you. Yeah, let's hope we're propping up a bar at a, a crime festival before too long. That would be good. Well, what I was thinking, Claire, is, you know, maybe you and me can go and prop up a bar in Hollywood and Michael can come and join us yeah. there. i tell you what, I am up for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.